0: If you'd open your Bibles, please, to Isaiah 51, Isaiah chapter 51, verses 4 through 6, will make up our key text today as we begin our Advent sermon series, Our Holy Night, with the sermon, Jesus is Salvation. We've got three sermons through this series on Sunday morning that uh, salvation, next week provision, and on um, uh, Christmas Eve morning, will be a sermon about freedom that God has done for us, that are all based on the first uh, three verses of the Christmas carol, O Holy Night. And then even our Christmas Eve evening service will be around that idea of worship. Fall on your knees as we consider what God has done for us. You can look at the internet like I did and see some stories of the past of a holy night. Because everything that we know in our hymns and poetry and literature has a backstory. There's a reason that the author wrote it. And in this case, it was Placide Capot, who was a venter, a winemaker, and a businessman, and the mayor of his town in provincial France, whose parish priest asked him to write a poem for Christmas. Capot, although a businessman, was an amateur poet. And so while he was on a business trip in the back of a, what we would call a stagecoach, on the way from his town to Paris for some business, he had in mind the idea that his priest had asked him to write a poem for Christmas. And Capot's mind went to where you might expect it to go. Keep in mind, this was in 1847, 160 years ago. It wasn't in America, it was long before the myth of Santa Claus and reindeers and other things like that. And so Capot's mind went back to scripture and he thought about Luke chapter 2 and imagined himself in the scene in Luke chapter 2 with the shepherds and the angels and the people in Bethlehem and the manger and it was there that he drew the imagery for the poem that he called Cantique de Noël. The Song of Christmas. But very quickly, he realized, after he finished that poem, as he's arriving in Paris, that this would make a good song. So he contacted a friend who he knew was a musician in Paris, Charles Adolph Adams, or Adolph Charles Adams, excuse me. And Adams, although a Jew, was a friend to Capot and agreed to write the um, tune that we know as O Holy Night. Now, it wasn't too many years before in France two things were discovered. One was that Capot, the author of the words, aligned himself with the French Socialist Party, which opposed the Catholic Church. So the church and its hierarchy said you cannot sing that song because it's written by a man who's now a socialist. And the other thing they found out that Adams, who wrote the tune, was actually Jewish. And they said, this tune was written by a Jewish man who doesn't believe Jesus is the Messiah. So the song, O Holy Night, was almost lost forever because it was banned by the Catholic Church in France all those many years ago. But the song, with its tune, had already made its way across the ocean. And right outside Yale, where his father was the president... John Sullivan Dwight, who was an abolitionist and a pastor, heard the words in French, and in the third verse it talks about being free, and he saw this as an ideal hymn or Christmas carol that talked about what Christ has done in bringing freedom to all people. And he translated that song into English, and it's the song we know today as O Holy night. And we focus this morning on the idea of Jesus being salvation. And not just our salvation because we're here in America and we won the lottery, as Pamela mentioned, by being born here. Not just our salvation because we get to belong to this church and we are evangelicals and Baptists and we've heard that it's by grace through faith we're saved. But the salvation of all people, of all nations, as we talked about last week and as we allude to every week when we consider our international missions offering, that Christ died for all peoples. And so, you've turned to Isaiah 51, and I'm going to ask you if you're able to stand with me in the honor of reading God's Word, if you would stand, and we'll read just three verses, actually, 4, 5, and 6, Isaiah 51, verses 4, 5, and 6. Listen to me, my people, hear me, my nation. The law will go out from me, my justice will become a light to the nations, my righteousness draws near speedily my salvation is on the way and my arm will bring justice to the nations the islands will look to me and wait in hope for my arm lift up your eyes to the heavens look at the earth beneath the heavens will vanish like smoke and the earth will wear out like a garment and its inhabitants die like flies but my salvation will last forever. My righteousness will never fail. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we come before you this morning and we open your word and we read these ancient words written by Isaiah near 600 years before Christ was born, talking about who Christ would be. Near 2,600 years from the moment we stand here today, but reminding us of who Christ is. So, Father, as we open your word, we know that by your spirit, you will speak to us. And we trust that what we need to hear, you will impress upon our minds. Where we need to obey, you will move us to commitment. Where we need faith, you will give us courage. And if there's any here that needs to trust Christ as their Savior, that they would be so bold as to make that decision today, too. We thank you, God. In the name of Jesus, and everybody said, Amen. "Amen, Amen." Thank you. You can be seated. Isaiah, as I alluded to in my prayer, was written six hundred years, roughly before Christ came. And many of the, um, excuse me, sermons that Isaiah preached that were written in this book that we have as Isaiah pointed to Jesus from the history of God's people, the Hebrews or the Jewish people, Israel, to the Messiah that would come. And this passage of Scripture is the same way. We've got our December Scripture memory verse, and I want to not go any further without calling that to our attention, and that's Luke 2.14. We'll say the reference, the verse, and the reference again. Luke 2.14. Glory to God in the highest heaven... And on earth, peace to those on whom His favor rests. Luke 2.14 These words are familiar to us because they're, they're part of a song. And we hear Luke chapter 2 again and again through this Christmas season. But we're reminded that peace to those on whom His favor rests. And it would seem to us as we look around the world that His favor rests on only certain few. And even as Pamela alluded to, we had the privilege of being born here in America and being in some ways more fortunate than others. But as we know, Christ died for all. And He comes to bring salvation to all peoples of all nations. And we see that reflected even in our key text, Isaiah 51, this morning. Your first point on your outline is that Jesus shines God's light to everyone. Jesus shines God's light to everyone. This time of year, it's always great to preach from this pulpit because of this right here. Let's try that again. If I want to make a dramatic point, I just stand right here and I'm in the light. And, well, yeah, that's about as dramatic as I need to be there. But you know what light does, it's simple. Light dispels darkness. You go into a dark place, you're fumbling around for the light switch, you turn on the light switch, and wherever the light goes, there's no more dark. Isn't it true? I went to the closet where my waiters are hiding. That's the secret to me being able to come out dry uh, uh, after baptizing so quickly is that I wear some waiters and I wear this big robe and I look like a marshmallow or somebody said a snowman today since, uh, you know... But those waiters, I always go in there and I'm like, where is that light switch? And it's hiding back around the corner under the waiters. And then I turn on the light switch and I have to go, which, okay, yeah, here's this, here's this, and I'll get dressed. But light, we need light. The earth wouldn't exist without light. And Jesus, however, is light of a different kind. And Jesus' light shines to all people. Come back to our scripture. Isaiah says, listen to me, my people. So he's talking to his people, God's people, the nation of Israel. He says, hear me, my nation. So he's calling out to those who already know God and who he is and his power and have been called his children and been called to be a blessing to all nations. Remember the covenants? He says, the law will go out from me. Now, wait a second. Is it Isaiah speaking or is Isaiah speaking on behalf of God? Isaiah speaking on behalf of Jesus. That the law will go out from me, God, and my justice, God's justice, will become a light to the nations. Now you think about that, it's a bit of an odd phrase, that God's justice would become a light to the nations. What is it about justice that seems like light? So many times when we think about justice, it seems like darkness. It's like lock him up and throw away the key. That's our modern idea of justice. Get the bad guy and do something to him. That's our idea of justice. But God says, my justice will be a light to the nations. What is he talking about? He's talking about as he holds up his standard of righteousness based on his character, that his justice is a representation of, that when we as humans look at God's righteousness, we see, oh, I'm unrighteous. And I'm dark. And I need the light of Jesus. And if we're honest with ourselves no matter who we are, no matter what we've done, no matter where we've done, we would say that we have failed, that we've done wrong, that we have sinned, and that we need the light of God's justice. And Jesus, as God in flesh, shines that light to everyone. I want to turn to Galatians chapter 4 invite you to turn with me if you're able to Galatians chapter 4 verses 4 and 5 and listen to what Paul writes there Galatians chapter 4 verse 4 and 5 he says but when the time had fully come God sent his son born of a woman born under law to redeem those under law that we might receive the full rights of sons. That we are adopted and we have the rights of heirs and joint heirs with Jesus, and though we were born under the law, Christ gives us his righteousness. First Timothy chapter 1 so a few more pages back to your right in your bible first timothy chapter 1 verses 15 16 and 17 says here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst paul writing but any of us could feel the same way but for that very reason i was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his ultimate patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. Now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. I'm a sinner, Paul says. The worst of sinners. And that's why God sent Jesus to save me. That his mercy in me might be an example to others. That he is righteous. That God shines his light through Jesus. Your application question to that first major point asks. What standards guide my decisions? What standards guide my decisions? If God's righteousness... Comes forth in justice that is light to all nations, does his justice and his righteousness guide the way that I live my life? That Jesus shines God's light to everyone? If I've received Christ Jesus as my Savior and Lord, what standards guide my decisions? Our values and sometimes our common sense. And sometimes our uncommon sense, which may be supernatural from God himself, guide us to make decisions on how we're going to live our lives. Let's look at the second major point in your outline. And that is that Jesus brings God's hope to everyone. Verse 5 in Isaiah 51. If you turn back to Isaiah 51 and verse 5, it says, My righteousness draws near speedily. The cliche I remember from growing up in Texas was that God is never late to always be right on time. You know the feeling because you're an American and you want it now. You want to go through the drive through restaurant. You want to have Amazon Prime so it gets here in two days. If it could get here in one, it'd be even better. You want it now. You want live streaming. You don't want any delay in your internet. Heaven forbid the Wi-Fi is out, right? You want it now. But what God's Word says of His righteousness, that it draws near speedily. That speedily is not always the same speed as we want, but that righteousness of God is always present. So really, it's always near, and therefore, it's always speedy. Go on to the next phrase. My salvation is on the way. Now, wait a second. God is speaking to His people before Jesus came, as the Messiah, to save his people and all nations. And now we get the idea that Isaiah is prophesying on behalf of God that my righteousness draws near speedily. Okay, God, you're always righteous, you're always present. But then that next phrase, my salvation is on the way, you mean there's some more salvation? So righteousness is one thing, but there's salvation that's something different than righteousness, something greater than righteousness, something related to righteousness, but not exactly the same. Exactly. Look at the next part. And my arm will bring justice to the nations. Now, keep in mind, these phrases like this are poetic. My arm will bring justice to the nations. What does this mean? This anthropomorphization, say that five times real fast. I could hardly say it once. Anthropomorphization, this is God taking on the characteristic of a human in order to describe himself to us as humans. He says, my arm will bring what? My arm will bring justice to the nations. He's talking about because of my strength, my sovereignty, my ability, I'm going to bring my righteousness to bear in the form of justice. Now let's go on. The last two phrases of verse 5. The islands will look to me and wait and hope for my arm. If you've ever lived on an island you know that it can be isolating. I mean, there's some wonderful things about living on an island, if you like the ocean, that is. Or if you're out in the middle of a big lake or something, you like the water, that could be wonderful. And maybe you like to be isolated, maybe you like to be not near some people. But you know, I tell you what, it kind of freaks me out to consider living somewhere like Hawaii. You know, the island of Maui is smaller than this county. And if I thought about, well, yeah, it's got mountains and stuff, but really you can't get up there, I mean, unless you hike, and that's a long way, and it's steep and everything like that. And people just live all around the edges and kind of through the middle, and I'm just talking about Maui. But, you know, I was thinking, how would I feel if that's the only place I could ever go in my life? This little 600 square foot rock that's got a couple volcanoes in it, you know, and they could blow. I mean, how would I feel? How isolating. So when Isaiah uses this poetic image of even the islands look to me and wait for me and hope, he's talking to people who they live on the mainland. And he's saying, even those folks way out there that you've heard about, that you meet every now and then, and they talk funny, and they come in on ships, and they smell funny, and all those other things, and you look at them, those guys way out there, even there, God is going to bring his salvation. Even there, what does it say? And wait and hope for my arm. You're in Isaiah. Would you turn with me to Job? And you wonder where that is. It's just on the other side of Psalms. So it's Job, Psalms, Proverbs. Job chapter 19. You remember that Satan used Job to test his faithfulness to God and caused all sorts of terrible things to happen to Job and his family. And then Job has this bunch of friends who, I use that term loosely because they believe it's all Job's fault and don't want to believe that he's righteous because God wouldn't allow these things, according to their theology, to somebody who's righteous. But the book of Job teaches us about God and who he is and that the rain falls on the just and the unjust. Good things happen to good people and bad people. Bad things happen to good people and bad people. And Job, in reply to his friends, says in Job 19, verse 25, 26, and 27, I know that my Redeemer lives, and that in the end He will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. I myself will see Him with my own eyes, I and not another, how my heart yearns within me. Did you hear what Job is talking about? He's talking about, I know God is eternal, I know I'm not eternal, I know I'm going to die, my flesh is going to rot, but I have hope in God because of who He is. And that Jesus brings that hope to everyone. That if you're a believer in Jesus, and even if you're not, but you hear the message of Jesus, you can have hope. Write down Romans 15, 13, because it says the God of hope fills you with all hope. If you need hope, where should you turn to? God. That's where you're going to get your hope. Psalm 42, 5, you may recognize it says, why are you so downcast? O my soul, hope in God. When you become anxious, when you become depressed, when you are worried, when you are fearful, where do you turn for hope? God. Romans 8, 24 and 25 reminds us that it is in this hope that we are saved. Jesus brings hope. To everyone. And not just any hope, but God's hope. So my question for you is, where do I put my trust? Where do I put my trust? What is your hope in? Is your hope in your own ability? Is your hope in your bank account? Is your hope in your spouse? Is your hope in your job? Is your hope in the American economy? Is your hope in a political party? Where's your hope? Your hope should be in God. The only valid place for our hope is the place that is absolutely sovereign and all-powerful and completely reliable. And that is in God. Your third major point on your outline this morning is that Jesus offers God's righteousness to everyone. Jesus offers God's righteousness to everyone. Remember it said, to the nations and to the islands. Now look at verse 6. Lift up your eyes to the heavens. Look at the earth beneath. The heavens will vanish like smoke and the earth will wear out like a garment and its inhabitants will die like flies. This is a lovely picture, isn't it? Whew! All right. Um, Yeah. Thanks, God. But let's get the last couplet. But my salvation will last forever. Everybody say "forever." forever. Forever. Your salvation will last forever. That God will save you to the uttermost in ability, but also in time. And my righteousness will never fail. Jesus offers God's forever, unfailing, absolute, positive, perfect righteousness to everyone. Can I get an amen? And if you've trusted Christ Jesus as your Savior and Lord, you are an heir and a joint heir. And you are His child. Just like that familiar passage Isaiah 9, 6 says, For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. You're us. I'm us. God sent Jesus in a manger to be born as a baby so that he might live a life in order to save us. Can I get an amen? Unto us a child is given. And we have good news of great joy, which will be for all men. Friends, this ought to be the season when it's easier than any other season for you to say to your friends, family members, co-workers... Do you know about Jesus? Do you know why we celebrate Christmas? Do you want to come to church with me? Hey, if you don't come any other time, come, you know, Christmas Eve. We've got a morning service at 930 or an evening service at 6 o'clock. You choose. I'll be there with you. I'll sit on the pew with you. I'll pick you up. We can go out to eat together. Whatever it takes, friends. Bring people to hear about the hope and the righteousness of Jesus this season. Your application question. He says, how do I know that I've been saved? If Jesus offers God's righteousness to everyone, how do you know you've been saved? I had this conversation a couple times with friends this week. And we just remind ourselves, and I misspoke in one, and I said John 13. It's actually John 14. In John chapter 14 and in John chapter 16, there are a few verses in which Jesus, telling his disciples what's going to happen when he dies and goes to heaven, and He's there until He comes back for us. And He says, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. And here's the thing the Holy Spirit's going to do. The Holy Spirit's going to help you understand things. The Holy Spirit's going to guide you in things. The Holy Spirit's going to convict you of uh, sin before you even sin, and certainly after you sin. And it's the evidence of the Holy Spirit that shows you that you have been saved. That the Holy Spirit is present within you. And you know by His presence within you, speaking to your spirit, that you are a believer in Jesus. And it's because you've been saved and you have the Holy Spirit. You know you've got God's righteousness imparted to you. Not by anything you could do, but because of His mercy. Luke 1.14. Luke 1.14, and I'm going to turn there now because I'm going to use this verse to conclude for us. This one's talking about, it's the angel speaking to Zechariah the priest about John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, who would be the forerunner for John. And it says that he will be a joy and a delight to you. Speaking of John the Baptist. And many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. And many of the people of Israel he will bring back to their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah. To turn the hearts of the fathers to their children. And the disobedient to wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. The angel Gabriel spoke to Zechariah of what his son would be like. And that his son would make way, prepare the way for Jesus to come. You and I have that same opportunity because of the hope that is within us, because of what Jesus has done for us, to save us from our sins, we have the opportunity this Christmas season to make the way ready for everybody we know and invite them to consider a personal relationship with Jesus as well. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we're so very blessed to be able to come Before you in this place and worship freely. We thank you for everything we've participated in this morning. Witnessing the baptism of two young believers. The commitment of parents and how they'll raise their children. Hearing the testimony of one who's trusted you in finances as well. Opening your word to study and singing songs of our faith. That God, it's truly in you that we have our hope. In you that we have righteousness. And it's in you that we have the ability to invite others to consider Jesus as well. So Father, we thank you. We ask now that if there's a soul here that needs to trust Christ as their Savior, they'd come and make that public today. If they've got questions and they just want to start a conversation, that they'd speak to me or somebody else right now. Whatever it is, God, as we come before You, we respond. And everybody said, in Jesus' name, Amen.